0: Welcome back, I'm Jared Johnson from Shift Forward Health and here's what's going to go down today. We have the flavor of the week about AWS HealthScribe, the new clinical documentation service featuring generative AI. In what ways can improving the clinician experience lead to a better consumer experience? And how can we look more often from the outside in? I'll talk about that. Then David Clark joins us to share keys for approaching staffing. He shares tips for job seekers and traits that make a good healthcare executive in today's up and down environment. It's time to dive right in. Are you ready? Let's go. Flavor of the Week. One of the fastest ways to reducing friction in the consumer's experience is to reduce friction in the clinician's experience. Case in point, Amazon Web Services announced a generative AI solution for healthcare documentation software. According to Fierce Healthcare, AWS Health Scribe uses generative AI and speech recognition to help doctors transcribe and analyze their conversations with patients and draft clinical notes. With the new service, healthcare software providers can use a single API to build clinical applications that automatically generate preliminary clinical notes by analyzing patients' Patient clinician conversations. The service can create transcripts, extract key details such as medical terms and medications, and create summaries from doctor-patient discussions that can then be entered into an EHR system. Ratin Saha, Vice President of Machine Learning and Artificial Intelligence Services at AWS, was quoted as saying: Our healthcare customers and partners tell us they want to spend more time creating innovative clinical care and research solutions for their patients, while spending less time building, maintaining, and operating foundational health data capabilities. Close quote. The knee-jerk reaction any announcement involving patient data is what? Concerns about privacy, and those do need to be addressed. But there are other questions under the surface that highlight the potential impact on how consumers encounter care. The main one is, can this improve the consumer's experience without adding to the provider's workload? I don't know that the average consumer is aware of the volume of documentation that providers log every day and its effect on their burnout, but if this can lead to the provider making more eye contact in the exam room or having a more informed discussion with the patient, it could be quite promising. It's so easy to look from the inside out and discount things that are different. The status quo is so much easier to think about and continue to do. It takes a disruptor's mindset to put the consumer and their needs at the center of the change management process, even when you're talking about something that doesn't typically come up in patient experience surveys like clinical documentation. I hope to have this conversation more often because we don't want any of the consumer improvements that we discuss on this show to come at the expense of clinicians' well-being. Let's make it a habit to look more often from the outside in and seek out ways to make life easier for consumers and clinicians. That's another way that we'll build the healthcare of tomorrow. And that's the flavor of the week. Hey, y'all, there are still so many marketing questions to talk about, and that's why we've created the relevant podcast channel. How do you market healthcare to modern consumers? How do B2B marketers reach modern healthcare buyers? And how do you achieve your own career goals in this modern world of work? Join me and my rotating set of co-hosts, including Peter Balistrieri and Mitch Holdwick, as we offer quick thoughts on these topics and much more. Subscribe to Relevant wherever you listen to podcasts. everyone let's get into the flow Please give it up for my guests this week. I'm here with David Clark, VP of Business Development for the Toland Group. We're going to talk about staffing and a lot of topics that have come up in the day-to-day things that happen in our industry. David, welcome to Healthcare Wrap. Jared, thanks for having me. Really appreciate the time. Let's help our listeners get to know you a little bit better first. What would you like them to know about you personally and professionally?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Again, my name is David Clark. I'm the Vice President of Business Development for the Toland Group. We're a healthcare executive search firm out of the St. Augustine, Florida area just south of Jacksonville, but uh, from a personal standpoint, originally from Memphis, Tennessee, but um, again, hail in the Jacksonville, Florida area with my two kids and my wife and my uh, and my dog. So we love the beach. Come visit.
0: I love it. Does it, I hope that doesn't lead to any rivalry challenges when you talk like, or, you know, came from Tennessee, now you're in Florida. I hope there aren't any uh, any challenges there in terms of who to root for.
1: <laughs> There's plenty of that. Jared, obviously in the Southeast, college football or college sports are king. So I'm interesting though, born in Memphis, grew up a Vanderbilt fan, not University of Tennessee, which is weird for some people, yet my alma mater is Auburn. So I grew up in Tennessee, went to college in Alabama, and now I'm a Floridian, so now I have to get used to the Gators. Yeah, my wife went to Florida State, so it gets really oh. icky around <laughs> the Clark
0: household. Oh, the fall is going to be a great time of year then, man. I'd have to come over sometime if I lived anywhere nearby. That'd be fun. You're always
1: Here's- welcome. The Auburn-Florida State National Championship game a few years ago, That was uh, we had to put that in our vows with my wife and I. It was a lot of fun. Thank goodness Florida State won for my own sake.
0: Oh, nice, nice. And glad we mentioned that, too. You know, we have to have to make sure we do that. And, of course, leave it to myself to... To invite myself over to your house, but Anytime. you know, <laughs> uh, fantastic what's interesting here, like I said, we're going to dive into staffing. Uh, Do you want to give us a little overview of the Tolan Group and what y'all do and what areas you focus on?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So as as mentioned before, we're based out of St. Augustine, Florida. We're a healthcare executive search firm. So we'll partner with private equity firms, venture capital firms, their portfolio companies. We work in the provider space as well with a niche in revenue cycle management, but also opcos or independent companies or operating companies. And uh, like I'd mentioned, public companies and what we do is partner appropriately with the fund, the board or their leadership team to really assess and identify senior level executives, senior vice presidents and vice presidents within the healthcare sector. So that could be services, behavioral health, technology, again, slice, slice and dice that up a thousand different ways. There's a lot of different sectors we focus in. And of course we can build entire teams as well. We typically start at that executive level, but again, uh, can get down to that director manager level, building entire teams on a permanent type of basis. And we do that throughout the country.
0: So is there anything top of mind when you mention approaching a, a staffing situation for a provider organization versus a PE-backed organization? Is there anything you know at the service that, that might work a little differently? Yeah, so
1: everybody has different buying behavior, right? Uh, providers of the hospital world has different buying behavior. So if you're in a boardroom with the CFO there, as we all know, margins are very, very tight these days. It feels like reimbursements decreasing. You know, Lord knows what CMS is doing these days. So those are tough conversations to have simply as far as what they're looking to identify. You know, with the PE-backed folks, typically they, well, not typically, they have limited partners. So typically they have a, a good deal of funds in which they can spend. But these individuals are obviously very, very intelligent, so they're looking for qualified individuals, but the negotiation can be a little bit more stringent, if you will, but they have more money to spend. In other words, they will perhaps pay a little bit more for a C-level individual that qualifies for the role, whereas that hospital CFO kind of looks down at the budget and says, hey, I can only max out at this particular number. So it definitely depends on not only the buying behavior of the person, but obviously the industry in which you're trying to place.
0: Yeah, I ask that because in the past we've had a couple of episodes that talk about the digital health talent wars, and I think that's one place that manifests is absolutely in whether it's the compensation side of it or just the the search approach to things, so uh, we can get into that later, but I appreciate the making that distinction because yeah there there are different groups, and then, like you said, different buying behavior. I love that that thought there. Well, tell you what, let's start with kind of a state of the state if you will. We want to talk about how do we approach staffing. It's in the middle of twenty twenty three This is an odd year in all ways. It's not necessarily very predictable, I feel like. So staffing, while it's part of almost every conversation at a large scale in just about every type of healthcare organization, it's seen very differently. I know it's approached differently. And so there there are no doubt things that you've seen and heard and experienced and been a part of that can help us just understand the, the right way to do things, or at least ways that are more effective in this kind of crazy world we're living in right now. So maybe we can start with the state of the state of the job market right now in the in the industry. I know we see a lot of headlines about layoffs in other industries. Sometimes that creeps into healthcare a little bit, but but state of the state, like 30,000-foot view, what's the market like right now?
1: Yeah, so kind of depending on a sector like we had mentioned before, overall, the, the market remains active, right? There are always talented individuals looking for open opportunities. I think we can agree on that. You know, some some folks may came up, come in and say, hey, I, I can't find an opportunity. They're out there, right? We just need to be networking, connecting, assessing, identifying those opportunities in the market. One huge piece of advice I always recommend is connect, network with people, right? We can press the, press the apply button all day, every single day these days. It is about who you know, right because let, let's be honest the apply button goes in. i'm sure my hr friends are going to love me for this it goes into some large bucket right and if it, there's algorithms in that bucket if you will and if that resume is not matching that algorithm you're not even going to get it slated so i'd highly highly encourage start building a network i would tell early careers that i would tell my dad who is retired now to continue to do that because it is all about who you know and obviously building that trust and that relationship. So I do think we can agree. Again, the talent is out there. It's just matching that open opportunity and that's obviously what we do. So yeah, there have certainly been some interesting changes and dynamics, especially with pre-COVID, during COVID, post-COVID. And yeah, Jared, you mentioned some of the layoffs you know, layoffs have been happening ever since mankind was created, right? Ever since we all, unfortunately, that's just part of business. And those that run the business have to make those really, really, hard decisions, but there will always be talent because we are people and obviously God given talents that we can use. And again, the opportunities are there. So like I said, it's, it's, it's about that networking. It's about finding those that can coach, can mentor you through processes like that, or finding partners like somebody like myself or our firm out there that is in the market and can kind of coach you through what the market is giving, the approach Right, whether it's an executive level or a VP, SVP, whatever that may be. There's resources out there, so try to find them and utilize them.
0: Are there new types of positions that you're being asked to staff right now? Or are they kind of some of the tried and true types of leadership positions that have been in place for a while? Like, what about the types of positions that you're seeing out there? Sure. So
1: I know everybody loves this answer, but it's across the board, right? As a executive search firm, obviously the majority of the roles that we see are C-suite ceos cfos have been the number one role requested and filled for the tolling group but cfos are certainly blowing up we can talk finances and and why that's so important coos those are really the top three but then of course you know kind of scaling out that c-suite chros uh, we've seen chief diversity chief sales chief growth chief revenue right now you're getting into this really cxo right so we've seen a really onslaught of all C-level individuals and roles. But then again, we've actually done actually conferences around this too, the importance of mid-level management, right? The C-suite is so very important. Yes, culture, vision, et cetera. But what about those that are living it every single day, the day-to-day operations, the grit and grind of really keeping the company moving forward? SVPs, VPs, directors, managers, right? Those are all roles if you will or titles. And of course, fill in the blank, right? Jared, if it's a CFO starting at the top, then you're looking at VPs of finance, you're looking at FP&As, you're looking at controllers getting into the accounting world, right? So a lot of finance opportunities coming in. But as far as what we're seeing, again, CFO has been the most popular, but really it's across the board. I didn't mention marketing, I didn't mention HR. Uh, Sales has been blowing up as far as business development, because again, that growth that a lot of these companies are seeking now. So it is really across the board on on what we're seeing, not only on the individual responsibilities,
0: but the title itself, again, C-suite or a director. It makes a lot of sense that, yeah, it's across the board. It's going to depend on those individual needs. It's exactly right. Just one other thing, you know, you read the, the articles about all these large
1: tech companies laying off, et cetera. Well, just just know that people are also hiring, right? You just don't see that as much. You hear that huge layoffs, but when was the last time you saw a huge hiring, right? Oh my gosh, uh, Meta or Twitter just hired 600 people. They're being employed, Right. You'll see every now and then large companies building new plants or et cetera can open this many jobs in communities. Absolutely. But where is the where is the news about all those that are getting hired instead of just laid off?
0: Seriously. It is. It's so easy to just scan headlines, scan your feed and see, oh, there's another one. I mean, I, I do. I see it on right. LinkedIn like, all the time and I'm like, Part of me says, like, it, I know that's not all that's going on, but that's all I'm seeing reported. So, that the, honestly, like, that's helpful to know the organizations aren't going away. Correct. There are opportunities out there. What are some of the questions that you get commonly from clients right now regarding staffing? <laughs> so,
1: uh, timeline. Gosh, when can we have this person in? I needed them yesterday. Right. There, there's this, uh, what I want to call it, there, there's this feel out there. If you've never worked maybe in, with partners, whether it's a search firm, staffing agent, whatever it may be, there's a feel that, you know, us as uh, kind of service industry experts, I'm going to call it in the people business, that we go into our warehouse, right, we get our forklift and grab these individuals off. Right off the shelves. They're waiting there. There's the purple squirrel. Well, unfortunately, it just simply doesn't happen that way. Now, you know, we're, we're all connected. We're networked. We have uh, a very large stable, if you will. But there is no doubt that, again, there's this feel out there that, hey, uh, David, gosh, I needed my CEO yesterday, Oh, okay, you can have them next week. That's fantastic. Well, it, you don't want a CEO that fast, right? You want to do your diligence as far as finding the right individual. And that's all the way down the line. So there is no doubt time when. When can I have my individual? Obviously, we get in a lot into qualifications. That's pretty standard. One of the biggest questions now, though, Jared, actually maybe a couple of them, since COVID, two big ones have really popped up. The hybrid approach, so working remotely, everybody's heard that now, but prior to COVID, we didn't hear that much, right? So even our C-suite individuals are being asked, can you come into the office five days a week? Can you come in only three days a week? Oh, you don't even have to relocate to where our headquarters is. You can work fully remote, and that's across the board. So it's this Hybrid approach of where these individuals can be domiciled, so that's been interesting conversation, you know. And then secondly, this is more for really senior leadership. But how do you manage a crisis? What is your crisis management protocol? Where did that come from? COVID nineteen. Nobody had that in the playbook. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think anybody knew this was coming. So guess what? These senior leaders kind of scrambled to a degree in in all sectors, right? This isn't just healthcare all over the place on, oh my gosh, COVID-19, this is a pandemic. Where's the playbook for this? Maybe there were some out there, most of what we heard, they kind of had to drum it up on the fly. So post-COVID, bringing us now to current, what is your crisis management protocol? So those two have really... Been the two I'm going to say new newer questions, if you will. The rest are kind of standard, but those two really kind of come up to top,
0: no doubt. That's fascinating because they do kind of apply regardless of the specialty or the role. Everyone wants to know that 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 is that's, that's fascinating. Yeah, absolutely. Well, on the flip side of that, I'm, I'm thinking about you know somebody who who is being considered for a position like this. What traits and qualifications are you looking for there? What what makes a good healthcare executive today? Yeah, sure. Uh, another
1: good question. So, you know, when you break down the executives, if you will, obviously healthcare doesn't just do it, right? We all know healthcare is very large. It's very complex. You mentioned digital health. I have an RCM background as well. So it's really qualifying what we call kind of the nuts and bolts of their really their past and their experience, right? And yes, that sounds pretty straightforward. David, wow, you're, you're a genius. Well, it's, it, it, it is, but it isn't, so to speak. So it's really understanding what makes the person tick and their experience within that sector, whether it's tech, whether it's services, behavioral health, whatever it may be. But not only that, it's they've got that experience But it also has to match what the individual is hiring for, whether it's the the PE, the VC, the provider, whoever it is. Just because that person has 40 years of experience in healthcare technology does not mean that healthcare technology company is going to hire them for whatever reason it may be. So there's just a lot of different variables that come in not only from our clients and what they're asking for but also the candidate market and what they are asking for and i I will say jared just to kind of add on to that overall kind of what we're seeing whatever executive it may be a lot of the ask now is how these individuals can roll up their sleeves and get much more involved in the business in which they are in so Like an example, let's just take that CFO, right? Previously, a CFO may come into a boardroom. That individual has the numbers, right? 10 minutes, here's the numbers of the company, leaves the boardroom, right? Gives the presentation, I'm out. Not anymore. Continuing on the CFO path, these individuals roll up their sleeves. They need to be getting down really into the day-to-day operations, understanding the trajectory of the company.
0: That really is kind of an evolution, isn't it? I mean, it's it's been Feels like we've been going that direction, but you know it hasn't always been all manifest in that same way.
1: That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Again, we not in no, my age. When I was growing up, it was kind of the okay. You kind of remain in your lane, if you will. Well, what? Just this is just what we're saying. Not anymore, right? It's the it's the ability to kind of adapt and flex, not only to what the market of the clients are giving you, but also internally and how we're leading our companies these days. I mean, does the CEO, CFO, not depending on size of the company, right, really understand what goes on day-to-day? Hopefully, but do they? <laughs> right. Or those day-to-day operators, gosh, what if a phone call came in from a C-level individual just saying, hey, how's your day going today? Tell me about what you do. So showing that appreciation, which, like you had mentioned, there is some turnover these days too. Last thing we want now is... Internal employee turnover. We want to keep the people, especially the ones that do a really good job.
0: Nice. Well, I appreciate that because you know, from a day to day perspective, uh, being involved in this that helps us to kind of see what you're seeing here. I imagine there are openings that stand out more than others. I, I wonder if you could just give us a, an example uh, of an opening that you're sourcing right now and what you're looking for in that candidate. You know, you know clearly, you know, don't reveal anything they don't need to, but. You give us an example of one of the things you just shared in terms of an opening uh, that you're sourcing and what you would be looking for top of mind.
1: Yeah. So kind of given the audience here, again, we, we do a lot within the industry, but on the provider side. So when I say provider, ho- hospitals, health system. So we, we are currently sourcing a vice president of revenue cycle management. So Some people say, oh, yeah, that's pretty cool. I love that. Some people may say, what the heck is revenue cycle management, right? It's how hospitals make cash. Let's just simplify that. The the reimbursement structures, working with the payers, pretty much how hospitals keep their doors open. So currently, we are sourcing one east of the Mississippi for a vice president of RCM. So to kind of give you an idea, right, we have a job description, obviously. We're working closely with the CFO. Uh, who obviously has been very well communicative with us. It's, it's certainly a partnership because this is a, this is a top-level position in his hospital. So obviously wants to stay engaged. But there's a lot that goes into this, right? It's not only the job description. It's what we had mentioned earlier. It's the qualifications of the individual. It's relocation packages. It's that hybrid approach. Does this individual need to be in the hospital or the business office every single day? Or can they live wherever, west of the Mississippi, and fly in once a month, right? So we're grabbing all of those details now. And then again, ultimately what we do is we kind of do a soft vet into the market to get an idea of what's there and how we approach the market is... Picture uh, you know, dropping a rock where this hospital is and that ripple effect, right? Start locally, and then you kind of work your way out as far as the ripples are concerned. So we'll kind of start there, do a soft vet in the market, a few profiles, they'll, then we'll re-engage with the CFO. He says, oh, okay, that, uh, that looks pretty good. I think you guys are on the right track. Or um, we need to tweak this and that, right? I, I like what I see, but I think we need to change this experience in coding or collections or accounts receivable, whatever it may be, we then adjust appropriately, move back into the market, and then we do full vets, right? Which ultimately means, okay, we found these individuals and now we're gonna put them through our process as far as qualifying for that open role. And, you know, Jared, this could take, you know, depending on communication, right? How back and forth we need to go with candidates. It, It could take, you know, eight to 10 weeks. It could take longer.
0: It could take shorter, but they're you know there's certainly a lot of fun to work on. Awesome, David. Well, we're going to try something a little new, if that's all right with you. I would like to try a rapid-fire round. So the premise is I'll share a few different types of job seekers, and I'd love for you to just give your top advice, whatever comes first to mind. So don't think about it too much, but uh, let, let's try these one by one. Let's start with, ready for this first one? Oh, man. All right. You're putting me to it. I got it. All right. The first one is early careerist. Early
1: careerist. Yeah, get involved. Early careers, if that's in college, you know, one to two years out in the industry, get involved, meet your people, build trust. But I would also say find a coach, find a mentor, perhaps maybe five, 10 years ahead of you, if not more, 10 plus years that you really put a lot of respect and I'm going to say trust again in because that person can kind of help you along because there will be bad days for the early careers. So There's going to be great days. Don't get me wrong. There will also be bad days where it's going to be, wow, why, why did I do this? Well, what am I doing? I should have chosen a new career. Stick to it. Stay in there. Get a great coach, build trust, connect with your colleagues. And like I said, it doesn't ever hurt to introduce yourself to the leaders
0: of your organization as well. Fantastic. All right, our second one, you ready? Our second one is middle manager.
1: Middle manager, I would say, you know, similar to early careers, I'm gonna say them for all, so hopefully I don't get hurt after that. Find a coach, find a mentor that continues to pull you along. You know, middle middle management, it's an incredible responsibility there too, because I feel like a lot of the day-to-day, day-to-day grit and grind gets put on you. Early careers, No offense, but you're still kind of learning. Middle management, you're in the grit and grind. You're looking for that next opportunity to get to upper level management. So how do you do that? Coach, mentor those early careers, right? You may not be able to make it to that upper level until you find perhaps a replacement for you. So show that you can lead, show that you can coach, show that you can mentor, continue to outperform, meet KPIs or whatever it may be, right? But I'd also say... Believe in yourself, but don't take a step backwards. In other words, if you're middle management, if indeed you are wired to continue your career, keep going. Don't stop and say, gosh, this is too hard. I want to go back to whatever role I was just in because I didn't know it was going to be this much responsibility. I'd encourage you not to do that. But obviously, uh, you know, people are wired differently. So hopefully that helps. And I'd say definitely at this range in early careers too, find some good books those leaders that have shown what they have done, how they've done
0: it, how they've gotten through their career. So find some good books too. Very nice. And last one here, David, you ready for this one? Last one, I think this will be your favorite, C-suite or executive leader.
1: Our favorites, right? Find a coach, find a mentor. You could be 75, right? But there's probably a 90 year old out there that can tell you something you didn't know today. No doubt. So I'm going to keep that across the board. For the C-suite individuals, I'm sure those people are probably already reading and, and you know and, and investing in how they continue to adapt and flex. Get to know your other C-suite members, like I had mentioned before. Understand the rest of the company. What does the what do your SVPs, your VPs, your associate, your analysts, what do they do on a daily basis? Pick up the phone and introduce yourself to somebody new every day, right? That, at least for me, would tell me, oh my gosh, my CEO, what an incredible person. He or she didn't just have to call me, but they did. They have no idea who I am. So I'd say really, really invest, over-communicate, make people feel like they're valued and appreciated in your organization. Because like we had mentioned earlier, Jared, yes, you don't see all the job opportunities, but they're out there. And people will jump to other jobs based on whatever it may be, right? And a lot of that comes from our C-suite individuals.
0: David, that's outstanding. Thanks for giving us so much to think about today. For our listeners who want to learn more about the Toland Group, the work you do, and just to connect with you personally, what's the best way for them to do that?
1: Yeah, well, first off, Jared, really appreciate the opportunity. It's been a lot of fun. been great to get to know you. So thank you. Thank Healthcare Wrap. And uh, yeah, you can search us at thetolangroup.com. That's T-H-E, Toland, T-O-L-A-N group.com. Again, we're out of
0: St. Augustine, Florida. My Ugly Mug is on the website. So you're you're welcome to reach out anytime. Well, thanks again. And with that, that's a wrap for this episode. I've had the pleasure of speaking with David Clark from the Toland Group. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks again.